0: Colin, thank, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: It's great to be here, Matt.
0: Thank you. So, let uh, so who are you? I, I I've just met you five minutes ago, ten minutes ago. Can you give us a a little bit about who you are and um, your
1: relationship uh, been, with Christ? Sure, I've been called all things: calling the Leaper, calling the Dancer. Uh, but let me go back. I I uh, I'm fifty nine year old englishman married to a beautiful lady called sadie three kids uh, at one point we wondered whether we would have any kids but god has given us three two girls and a boy uh, which is fantastic um i wasn't brought up a christian uh, and you know you don't have to be very clever in these days to realize that most people don't believe when you're a kid you, you know that's true most people don't believe and so i quickly picked up on that and i felt that religion was for fools or for those who couldn't cope with life and needed something extra now i'm happy to be called a fool and happy to admit i don't cope with life i need that something extra but at the time i uh, i uh, you know i was dismissive and i remember convincing my brother a younger brother i was the eldest of three uh, that god was not real but, uh, you know, no matter how sure you are at one level, the questions, they, you know, they I, for me, they kept coming. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there any meaning or purpose to life was a question that would not go away. And I would marvel at people who would stand on the streets with their Bibles and preach and think, what are they wasting their time for? Or people that came around door knocking like the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I used to have regular conversations with those people and I'm trying to understand what was making them tick, but really failed miserably. But it wasn't until I got, uh, well, to university that that something clicked for me. Um, I saw a, a chap who there was something different about him. He seemed happy. He seemed a bit naive, but there was just something different about him. And one day he wandered in, I didn't know him very well, but he wandered into my flat looking for one of my flatmates. And so I just said, look, you always seem so happy, You know, what do you think life is all about? And he said, I'm a born-again Christian. And I thought, oh my word, okay. <laughs> how, how can I get rid of this guy quickly? Uh, and he said to me, uh, have you read the Bible? I said, yeah, I've read the Bible, but really uh, it's some nice stories in there, but I think it's irrelevant. Now it's 2,000 years ago. Yeah, Uh And so he said to me, have you read it as an adult? And I said, no, I read it at school, but not as an adult. And he said, uh, maybe you should have another go. And I said, maybe I will. Again, I was just really trying to get rid of the guy. Uh, He left. But a few days later, he came back to me with a brown paper bag out of which he produced a Bible. And uh he said to me, You know, he gave it as a gift to me. I offered to pay for it. And he said, if you can't accept this small free gift from me, how can you possibly accept God's free gift of eternal life? And I thought, whoa, okay, Matthew. Yeah, that's a, you got me. That's a heavy question. That's a heavy question. Yeah. So I took it and put it on my bookshelf um, and didn't look at it for a few weeks. But one day I was waiting for a friend to, to finish his, homework you know so we go down the bar together i didn't want to do my maths assignments i was bored and i looked up and i saw the bible i thought i just have a little read and he said something quite interesting to me he said don't start at the beginning at genesis because you'll get bogged down you won't really understand it he said don't start at the end in the book of revelation you definitely will not understand that he said but start in the middle with one of the gospels and his name was matthew so i started with matthew the start of the new testament and I read the first 10 chapters, which include, as you know, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading it, I can only think, you know, now looking back, that God was speaking to me. And I I I have a language for that. But as I was reading it, my impression of God and Jesus was changing. Yeah. Because he was talking about lust. You know, who, whoever looks at a woman lustfully is already committed, you know. Adultery in his his heart. Yeah. He was talking about anger. You know, he that is angry with his brothers already, you know, is as bad as murder. Yeah. And so I was thinking, well, if he's talking about those kind of things, the things of the heart, then actually they're the kind of things I do struggle with as a young man. And if he can help me with those things, then maybe there's a point to this. And I was getting a little bit emotional, but I didn't know why. And I started to read uh, a booklet he'd put in there called Journey into Life by Norman Warren, which is basically uh, a little evangelistic booklet with a a story of why Jesus died Um, and then a prayer at the end. And I got on my knees and I prayed that prayer and I was crying and uh, I felt stupid, to be honest with you, when I when I finished, you know, I was what am I doing? Uh, and I went down the bar for a drink with my mate. But the next morning I woke up and it was like the world had been painted overnight. Everything looked different. Wow. I, You know, my prayer was, God, if you're there, will you, will you, you know, reveal yourself to me? Will you come and help me? Uh, and uh, I knew, I knew that I knew that somehow he'd answered that prayer. But I didn't understand a thing you know all i'd done was read 10 chapters of matthew i wasn't brought up a christian you know so i had no context for this stuff i you know apart from what the culture would, would would tell you so i i went to church once um that sunday with him and another friend of mine was there and he said have you become a christian and i said what's a christian i i had I had no idea, Um, but I I was filled with a sense of peace and joy, which was really. And I wrote a fourteen page letter home. This was the days before mobile phones. I'm a bit old. (laughs) This was the days before mobile phones, and I wrote a fourteen page letter home to my mum. And she'd sent me away to uni with um, stamps just envelopes every term, and I never used any. (laughs) But I wrote fourteen pages. That God is real, and life is good. That's awesome. How can you take 14 pages to that? I don't know. I honestly can't remember what I wrote. But my mum was worried about me. She thought I was joining a cult and she phoned up to uh, check on me.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, at that time, I got a new girlfriend. I had a new job to go to. And so it went on the back burner. But I, from that moment, I knew that God existed. Then a few years later, my brother became a Christian and... He nearly died in a motorcycle accident. Um, and I saw God do an amazing work in his life. And to cut a long story short, he invited me to a meeting, which Billy Kennedy had organized in Southampton. Uh, and uh, I gave my life there again. And I had that same experience, that same encounter with God, not in the moment, but again overnight. When I woke up the next day filled with joy, irrepressible joy, singing. I was singing everywhere I went. In fact, my brother came up a week later and he was worried about me because he he wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay and take me to church. Um, And uh, he said he could hear me as he approached our house 200 yards away and he could hear me singing uh, Don Francisco songs. I've got to tell somebody what Jesus has done for me. And he knew I was okay. Um, He took me to church and I never never really looked back from that moment. Um, I've had my ups and downs since, but you know that that was the way i became a christian um so it was a real real encounter transformational thing overwhelming thing for me i wept in church every week for about a year wow <laughs> so uh, yeah amazing amazing so you
0: said for you it was it was almost an instantaneous like change inside of you you were you were seeing now like a lot of people that i've talked to they're like you know if they're born again it was it was you know you get these really deep conversions of i was living a life that was just completely crazy i was you know doing everything under the sun i could possibly think of and then i met jesus and. Like that, snap! It's it's a complete different change. Mm-hmm. Now, was it w- w- were you living like that, or was it just you just didn't know him?
1: uh I was living a fairly well, not say normal, a fairly normal uh, life. I wasn't outrageously rebellious or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Although I was so shy, uh, I I used to run from people. I I couldn't talk to anybody which makes me laugh now when i talk in front of hundreds of people regularly but at the time i was painfully shy i was i used to think everyone was better than me growing up and um so so in order to overcome that i started to drink alcohol and i used to regularly get drunk but after i got saved i never got drunk once well i say on purpose once i never got drunk after I got saved. Once I did get yeah. drunk, but that was a whiskey tasting and uh I did it by mistake. <laughs> but that was an immediate um change from one lifestyle to another overnight. Yeah. Um the other other things changed more slowly. I did have a problem um with lust and way I viewed women um as a young man. Uh and I I just looking at our culture, I assume that's a regular a common thing. Yeah. and you know god has helped me over a period of years to to redress that overcome that but that was a slower slower work so um yeah it i wasn't over overly rebellious i was generally trying to do the right kind of things but stumbling <laughs> um and not doing a very think, good job i think that's
0: everybody i i think mm-hmm. you know I mean we still we still stumble. We still yes. are not yeah, yeah, yeah. in that perfect perfect that perfect flow of walking come with on. God because come like, on my, like my wife says you have to tune into him and sometimes I always I always refer to tuning into God as like the old stereos in the car you had to push the button and then it would move you over a certain way and then you'd have to adjust it a little bit more yeah, just yeah. to to get to get to get it tuned in properly and yeah. I, I think every day we we blow it in some way and yep. we have to redirect ourselves, retune in yep. to hear his voice because yep. we're not next to him. We're still in, a, in an earthly body. We're still um, surrounded by a lot of stuff.
1: Yes. And that's why uh, I think uh, one of the best spiritual disciplines is not one that's, that's um, talked about much, but it is about practicing his presence. Yeah. It's about practicing him being in the room with you, yeah. just believing and acknowledging that it changes everything. It changes your behaviour and it changes what you might expect to happen in the next moment. Uh, so, yeah, I try and do that. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I'm glad, so glad to hear you say that we still stumble because you know too, too often we get a, a false dichotomy or false dualism about these pre. Conversion and post-conversion lives. Yeah. Uh, for me, it, it's definitely a a, a progressive salvation. We we were saved, then we're being saved. And one of my favourite uh, verses is one that Stephen says uh, before he's stoned in Acts. He described the history of the Jews and he all the ways that they've screwed up over the many years. And he says, "You you you slow people, you unbelieving people, you you're always resisting the work of the Holy Spirit." Are you stiff-necked? I think he says you're stiff-necked. People, yeah. you always resist, and I and I like to say now we're still stiff-necked and we still resist the work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I yeah, think, to... I
0: I think we, you know, we have the help of the Holy Spirit, help of the, of the Father in our lives every day, but the pride yeah. of life can come in and say, "Look what I did! Look, look what I've accomplished in life!" and yeah. and then we have to have uh, that slap on the back of the head sometimes to say hey who gave you that who allowed you to do that who gave you the air to breathe so yeah. you could do that you could be successful or you could yeah. you know um preach or wh- whatever it is yeah. so yeah that's good yeah i like
1: that. grace we all yeah. need grace
0: yeah yep exactly uh, daily i mean if you're married you need grace
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah
0: yeah so so if you- uh, so um once you were born again, was it like an uh, a, like i need to get into a church did it did it go quickly for you to go into the church and say okay. i really need to i need to find a place
1: well it it didn't go into me, but my brother got into me mm-hmm. <laughs> he'd been a Christian for a year or two by the time I okay. became a christian, and he came up he he lives about an hour and a half away from me at the time he came up by train. Um, to visit me the next weekend to make sure I got to a church. And he asked around and uh, learned of a good church to take me to, or what he believed would be a good church, one that Kennedy knew of. And it was run by a guy called Mike Hastings, who's now Lord Hastings. (laughs) But uh, I turned up, Matt, and I kid you not, I was 24 years old. And I was the fifth oldest person in a church of about 70 people. Wow. Uh, And over its 10-year lifetime, it had been going when I turned up, about 500 teenagers had been through its doors. Um, At its height, it was about 200 teenagers. Uh, uh, God was doing something wild. And there was a young married couple that invite one of the elders, who was a bit younger than me, Um, elders who was younger than me invited me back for lunch immediately after the meeting and again the next night to a small group and again the next sometime the next few days to have dinner with him and his wife and so i quickly got completely embedded in this new community and it was weird you know because growing up you tend to hang out with people with similar uh Passions, similar, you know, like doing similar things, whether it's playing football or chess or whatever, you know, you hang around with the people that do the things you like to do. And you go to university and you hang around with people that have a similar educational background. And here I was suddenly thrust into a church where I was mixing with people from all kinds of backgrounds and, you know, and the overriding thing that kept us all connected was just a love of Jesus or an interest in in Jesus. That's cool yeah it was amazing and uh I you know church if because it was so real to me it was a very real encounter with God I couldn't I wanted to learn more so I, I threw myself into it um and uh it, my friend my non-christian friends must have thought I was uh, gone a bit peculiar because I probably stopped hanging out with them um to the same degree that I was hanging out before to my shame really yeah um yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I got stuck in really, really quick. Um, yeah. Very cool.
0: So not by design
1: really, but just by accident. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I, and I don't think God has a perfect plan for us. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, we weave in and out of that plan and I think Definitely. he, he uh, stitches us back in you know i i was saved at a young age um probably i think it was like 11 but <clears throat> excuse me i i didn't i didn't understand it mm. i didn't understand because i i was raised baptist and you mm. get saved and you, that's what you're supposed to do you get saved mm. and um they're good at preaching the gospel but that's all i knew that's yeah that's really all i knew so it yeah. wasn't like a uh, a deep conversion. And I struggled throughout my teens. Parents got divorced and and mm. self-worth issues and wow, identity yeah. issues and nice. not realizing who I, what God had created me to be till I was almost 20. Mm. When I started casting off, it was probably eight, like 18, 19. I ca- started casting off what I realized was holding me back is, you know, didn't have good friends. I'm like, oh, why do I need good friends? And so I started, mm. you know, the people that were in my life, I just started getting rid of them. And God was just pushing that all away and narrowing down to nothing but me. And then he started mm-hmm. to work on me. Wow. And by the time I was 20, 21, I was like, this is who God is. I got, you know, I met my wife. We went, moved to a new place. We started at a charismatic church. We were seeing wow. healings. We were seeing, seeing the things. I'm like, this That's is it. what God has created me to be part of. And so that was a a really cool thing is, because that conversion is, you never know where we're going to go. And I think, um, our backstory is always a, is a huge testimony, um, Mm. for us. And so like with your testimony, you got, you know, getting drunk, get born again, really deep experiences, Jesus. And he, he's, he, you know, Holy Spirit's ministering to you and you're, you know, you know, crying with these experiences because it's so overwhelming. Um, and then you move into a church. Oh, I mean, what was your, did you stay in that church long or was it just kind of a, a stopping point at that time in your life?
1: For for a while, I thought I was a little bit cursed or for churches, because I stayed in that church for a year
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the leader had a bit of a breakdown. Mm. Uh, and I then wondered what I would do. And I'm, by chance, <laughs> I met a guy who'd been part of that church earlier been one of the elders and moved off um to a church just west of london in marlow um called river church and i joined that church um i went to it for about six months it was about half hour drive away so i was driving there every week driving back thinking "I'll, i'll go there until god gives me somewhere you know better to be yeah and and I thought it was a bit of a cop out because the church was in a bit was in a very well wealthy area, and uh, I got saved in a poorer area, and I grew up in a poorer area, and I felt like you know it was a bit it was too easy out in this place where I was going, and I needed to find somewhere different. And anyway, it wasn't really ticking all my boxes. They weren't really pushing in. My first church was really radical in so many ways, as you can imagine, being full of teenagers yeah this one seemed to be a bit too staid, um yeah and so I, I was getting frustrated and i said to my friend um after six months i think this this is not the right place for me i'm going to go and look for somewhere else uh and that week we had an incredible um that in the following night we had an incredible home group meeting and people were praying and prophesying over one another and god spoke to me and said uh this is the place i want you to be uh, so, so uh, I, he spoke to me as I was reading. Um, this, I was reading the Book of Acts. I think it was around the conversion of Lydia, and uh, about finding a place of prayer by the river. Mm, that's good. And as I read those words, which were totally out of context, this church was called River Church, and it was on the river. And the Holy Spirit said, "This is a place for you by the river." That I'm, that you know you. And I just knew, and I don't. You don't know how sometimes God speaks. You can't explain it. But all of a sudden, I had this peace. Actually, I should, I should be here. And so I stayed at River Church then for thirty years. Wow. Um, maybe no longer than that. Uh, and but after I'd been there a year, the leader fell from grace. <laughs> so, oh, wow. uh, so yeah, I was beginning to wonder whether you know. <laughs> <laughs> Me turning up was bad news for churches. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to oh. be the death knell for leaders. But anyway, I stayed on, and eventually got into leadership myself. Served on teams, just serving, you know. And if you serve, generally, you tend to get asked to do more stuff. Yeah. And so that's that was my then route into church leadership. um And in fact, I, went, I was an an IT person. I was a software engineer and uh i went to work with a young guy in the church we set up a company in his bedroom in his spare bedroom wow and uh after a, a year and a half or two years he said to me do i want to be a partner in the company it was, you know because he'd got he'd set it up he'd got the big contract we were working on but uh, as that was coming to an end he says do i want to be his partner do we want to go forward together wow. and you know what i said no and I said, uh, "I said God has called me to the church." I was an idiot, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up work. I ended up working for him for about fourteen or fifteen more years. Wow! And uh, we grew the company from the two of us up to about thirty-four people. Traveled around the world writing software uh, and had a great, great time. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's and then funny. that's when God opened the door for me into leadership. Um, more of in a full time way, which is another story in itself, which will take yeah. time to some of it. Yeah,
0: you we know. can we can do that at another time. Um, yeah. So, what is excuse me? What is your current um, your current um, role in church leadership? I just a quick synopsis of it, and then we'll we'll move on. Okay. But I just want to give an idea.
1: There's two things that I'm involved in a in leadership level. One is a, a, church, a pioneer church in West London, in East Molsey called Refresh Church. Uh, I joined them just over a year ago from River Church. So my third church um, and they were looking for help in transitioning a transitional period. Um, They were lacking a key leader uh, front, you know, and so I've taken on leadership of that church for a season to help them through a season. And it's about 60 people. It's a small church. And, I am also part of the Pioneer International team, so i work, I work closely with Billy and with Linda Ward on that team um, cool. travel with Linda to to Australia regularly at least once a year and uh, also to the mostly to South Asia around Nepal and Sri Lanka, those kind of places so that's my current kind of role in leadership.
0: So you've known Billy for what twenty five years then?
1: I've known Billy since 1987, so 35 years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's cool.
1: Yeah. It is cool. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. I've only, I've only known (laughs) Billy for what, four years now, something like that. Uh, yeah. Well, actually longer than that, but yeah, about eight, about 2019, somewhere in that area. But, um, yeah, it's, um, just knowing him is, is, Um, is a gift he's Mm. insightful and i just love having conversations with him and just doing the podcast itself with him the first you know first 10 episodes of the podcast are basically billy and i chatting and i was just like this is so much fun just chatting and and soaking in that wisdom and different things like that so Mm. but so today i wanted to you and i were going to talk about theology so yeah Theology is, man, it, it can be. Everybody has their own theology, whether it's yep. correct or not. Every. No, uh, denom- not correct theology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we try to interpret the Bible and make our theology from that, but sometimes we interpret it wrong. You know, every doc- yep. uh, denomination has their own theology, every cult has their own theology. And there's a fine balance in our theology and, and what we believe that makes us a cult or not a cult.
1: And so we have
0: to, we have to look at scripture um, and read scripture within the context of understanding God's character and understand to be able to get correct theology. So um, can you talk to us a little bit about theology and how we can, how we can, become better at understanding theology okay. and doctrine because they both relate to each other.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, let me just say a couple of things. I noticed that in that just preamble there, you mentioned the word correct a couple of times. And I try not to use that word when talking about theology. Okay. I try not to use the words right or wrong or correct or incorrect. Uh, clearly that you can be incorrect and you can be correct. Yeah. But but I try not to use those words. I try to use helpful or unhelpful. Mm,
0: that's
1: good. I think it's a. I think it's a. It's a better way of. You're not demanding other people agree with you when you use words like that. Um, you, what you're expressing is something personal that I find helpful or unhelpful. Uh, and I think if we could move to that kind of way of talking about theology, uh, it, we would fall out less. Mm, that's good. <laughs> um, People people do fall out over it, yeah. which is maddening, yeah. <laughs> absolutely maddening. So uh, I, let me just tell you why, why it was important to me, Matt, uh, wh- how I got into it, because it's by accident again. <laughs> you know, you say we stumble. I think I stumble. I think it's something that God has called me to now. Uh, but at the time, it was a stumbling. And so I became a Christian, as I told you, at the age of 24. Mm -hmm. not really understanding what I got myself into. And then you quickly hear people telling you what the Christian faith is. And then that immediately prompts questions. So, you know, you would get someone quoting John 14 to you and saying, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the way. There's no other way. So every other way is wrong. And so I'm thinking, what about Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs? You know how how does our faith speak to them? You know what? How do we treat them? You know, uh, and I didn't always like the way Christians treated people of other faiths, in what they said about them. Just being honest.
0: No, no, I I agree.
1: So, and then then other questions started to come. You know, what about? You know, I started to hear about judgment. And about uh, hell and and the fact that only Christians will go to, to heaven and everyone else is going to go to hell. And, and, and that quite a lot of people passionately were telling me that they'd be um, kept alive forever and ever in torment. And I was thinking, my word, I've got to believe some crazy stuff, man. You know, this this is making me feel bad. I'm not enjoying this. This is not good news. This is bad news. Yeah. And so I start to think, I start to read I just read and I read and I read about other religions and I read about uh you know stuff to try, try and make my head make sense and I honestly I have to say this uh I I feel like I would have not been able to stay the course if it hadn't been for a man called Roger Forster who you may not have heard of but he planted the ichthus a church movement in the UK around London and grew up to about 30 congregations, him and his wife. Uh, but his theology, when he spoke, when he wrote, I didn't have to do mental gymnastics. I didn't have to, you know, kiss my brain goodbye just to believe some things that other people were telling me I had to believe. Yeah, um, And uh, so that kept, that gave me hope that gave me hope that, uh, there was a way, there was a way through, um, which, you know, I could be happy with. I, I eventually ended up studying under that man. He, he ran a discipleship course and, uh, I ended up studying on him, which was an amazing. Answer to prayer, incredible answer to prayer. Um, and he was patient in, he- in helping me. Um, because, we get our theology from all kinds of places, don't we? Uh, we get it. You can get it from creation, just looking around and seeing the way that God, what God made and the way he made it. You can get some idea of, of what he's like. And Jesus often uses uh, s- stories about creation to teach us about yeah. God. Uh, you can get some idea from all kinds of things. But one of the main ways we get our theology is through the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, making sense of the Bible, trying to wrestle with it and interpret it um, is key, I think. And what I notice is you can make the Bible say almost anything you like. It's that open. It's that open, which is interesting because God could have made it a lot simpler for us. He's chosen to tell us stories yeah and he's deliberately made it so that we have to engage uh, with him yes and his spirit but also with each other and debate and you know chew things over and test things out uh and really work at, at finding uh the best interpretations we can and you know i i don't know if you've ever you must have had people uh, talk to you about this. And uh, again, it's one of the things I find very frustrating when really lovely Christians say, Colin, you've just got to believe the Bible. You've just got to do what the Bible says. Yeah. You know, uh, the Bible says it, that, you know, that sorts it out. And I'm thinking, what Bible are you reading? Because it, it it's not that straightforward for me. <laughs> and uh, looking, reading um you know, they they would tell you so often to read it literally, and you think, okay, read it literally, but then nobody reads it literally. They we all pick and choose about what bits we think are literal and what bits aren't. Don't, like, don't, am I? Do you agree with that? You know, I think I think that's true. For instance, I've never met anybody who's cut his arm off or his, or his gouged his eye out because it's caused him to sin. Yeah. Have you done that? No, we don't read that literally. We know that Jesus is t- is warning us about something, you know, to take sin very seriously, to take yeah. the things that can control us, like my drinking, to take it seriously, not to play with it, but to cut it off. Yeah. Um, and yet when when it comes to other things where it says that God's going to restore all things, People say, "Oh, he can't meet. He doesn't mean that. He means he's going to restore a few of us, <laughs> and most most of the rest of us is going to burn forever. And you think, "Hold on a minute! How? Why can you be so certain that that's not literal?" You know. And so we we all pick and choose basically uh, what what is going to be literal, and the Bible, I think, is a lot more complex um, than most people. Most, I think. Uh, yeah, a lot of Christians anyway, would have us believe.
0: Yeah, I uh, I think when we talk about, you know, reading the word and um, understanding what the word of God says, um, like you said, it, it, some of it is a literal saying, you know, you look at the Old Testament and, you know, God gave us 10 laws. These are literal laws. Don't do this. He's saying follow this to the t you know as best as you can and then what you know like you said jesus says it's better for you know to pluck your eye out or to cut your hand off um he's like you said he's warning us of mm. the the immense gravity uh the gravity of the situation of what yeah. it can cause if you don't um yeah and we have to look at it and say okay yes some of this stuff is follow this to the T like the 10 laws in the Old Testament 10 commandments, we need to follow those. Are we always going to follow those? No, we're, we're humans, we Mm. sin, and we're gonna, you know, fail, fall, and whatever. But I think we have to look Mm. at it and say, Okay, what is the scripture telling us? Mm. Um, And how do how do we how do we read what scripture is telling us and become have wisdom from that?
1: Yeah. And and can we interpret? Can we interpret um, scriptures in a way which really glorifies God? If we have a choice, if we have a choice in, in interpreting, I think it, we owe we owe it really to ourselves and to others, and to God Himself actually to interpret it to interpret them in a way which brings out God in the best light, which you know, uh, reveals him him to be truly glorious. Someone that everybody would admire uh, and not, not some kind of monster, which we can easily get to if we're not careful. So uh, yeah, so just for an example, that passage from John 14 that we just mentioned earlier, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So many Christians will use that as saying, to to beat other people up and say, Christianity is the right way, Jesus is the right way. You know, there's no other way. Yeah. Um, But actually, I don't see it that way now. What What I see is Jesus inviting us to a place that he lives, which is in the bosom of the Father. In other words, if you, you can know God in all kinds of ways, as creator, as judge, as sovereign, from all kinds of things, you can know God as those things. But if you want to know him intimately, if you want to have a familiar relationship with him, one which you know you're favored and loved, then the only, the only way is through the son, because that's yeah. the relationship that the son has with the father.
0: Yeah.
1: And he authentically lived it, no matter what the world did to him. And so he's able to help us live that way authentically. Uh, And that's a very different message uh, than the one that, you know, others have read into that, into that verse. So I just use that as an example. And for me, uh, it's, it presents God in a lot better light. It's not God choosing some instead of others. It's God, it, offering or inviting everybody into a wonderful space
0: yeah well I mean, if you look at it it's it's you know you get some uh, denominations that think that God has elected certain people and only certain people are mm. chosen and but it's not that way it's it's we it's choose him yeah it's our choice to choose him not yeah. us him going yeah. oh you 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 this group yeah. of people only you know yeah. and that if that was the the mindset or the church that i was in i would be like i'm just going to live however i want because i don't you know if i'm not the elect of god or if i'm not the yes. the chosen people of god then why would i even even try yeah but I, yeah I think we have we have to look at it as it's our choice not his choice he yeah. chose that none shall perish
1: yes but, god's choice is yes
0: yeah but it's our choice on how we how we receive him if we receive him. Yeah, if yeah. We, if we choose to, to accept his son as savior of the universe, savior of the world yeah. and yeah. follow him. So it really, it's, God throws it back in our court.
1: Yeah, in, he does. In that spot. He does, he does. And it's an invitation to life. It's always an invitation yeah. to life with him if you want eternal life you want the quality of life that i have in heaven if you want that quality of life you can live in it now uh and uh that's the offer which is amazing it's incredibly it's incredibly good news offer um but uh we've made it something narrow and um exclusive when actually god is an inclusive god who's looking to to redeem all things he's looking to restore all things looking to gather all things in heaven and on earth in christ and so you know uh we spend too much time trying to sh- to prove we're in and others are out if that's my honest opinion
0: no i i agree with that and i think um we there is you know jesus said i am the way and yeah. he goes the, the the path is narrow," and he's basically saying hey i am the only way to the father mm. but mm. It's not, he doesn't give us a a list of rules and regulations on how we get to him. It's just, you have to come to Jesus. You have to come to me to receive who I am, the gift that I am, because that gift is the door to the relationship with the father.
1: It's life, Matt. It's life in all of its fullness. When we know we're loved, a, a beloved child of God. Oh my word. You know, life is joy.
0: Yeah. It life changes. is joy. It changes us.
1: Yeah. And we don't need to beat anybody up with that truth. It should be self-evident to those that meet us. <laughs> you know, we don't have to try and convince people. We just need yeah. to live the life. Um, yeah. Uh, I,
0: I, 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 yeah, I was having this conversation um, with our friends last night. We were, we were sitting around and we're talking. I said, you know, we have, we have such a culture of, um, live however you want god's okay with however you are you know and but we also had we came from a culture a hundred years ago of you know or over you know a 100 plus years ago of dl moody saying sinners in the hands of an angry god and we have to find this balance of Mm. god loves us but he hates the the sin that separates us from him Mm. and so I, you know, I was talking to him, I said, how do we find this balance when we preach? How do we find this balance of God hates sin, but he gave us a gift of his son that can, that can erase the sin that we've committed and, and bring that to light. So people understand that God is not there waiting to smite them down with a giant (laughs) lightning bolt and send them to hell for eternity.
1: Yeah. I love that, that verse in romans 2 4 uh where it says it's the kindness of god that leads us to repentance yeah and i think about that a lot and it's true i think it's true i uh knowing what's right and wrong never helped anybody but knowing the kindness of god experiencing the kindness of god and really falling in love with with who God is, the idea of God and who Jesus portrays him as, that changes you, that that causes you to repent. So I find the best way of overcoming sin is not to say, I'm gonna change myself. I'm gonna stop doing the thing that's wrong. The best way of overcoming, I found personally, is just to fall in love with Jesus yeah i didn't have to try and stop to drink i stopped drinking because actually i didn't need to drink because jesus was enough um and i think when we fall in love it changes us we do crazy things we we stop behaving in the way we used to behave and if the person we love is in the room you know we act in a way to please that person, which is why I say practicing the presence of God or Jesus is is one of the best disciplines we could ever do.
0: Yeah, there's a uh, a book called that I think. Um. Yeah, there is. It's I think Bill Johnson wrote. It's called pra- the Practice of the Presence or something or something similar to yeah. that. Yeah, and I think I, I think I actually have that.
1: Um I like the presence teaching. I I read yeah. a, I've read a lot of his stuff
0: he has such a, uh, a, a a good understanding of the father um you know yes. like like you have to take every church with a grain of salt you have to say okay yeah i agree with some of the things and some of the other things i don't agree with but I, his hmm. understanding of the the concept of the heart of the father is really what what uh prompted us to actually leave the church we were at because we saw a abusive system of mm-hmm. the pastor is the only person that can be right. And everybody else is wrong. And if you're not for me, you're hundred percent. If you don't agree with me, you're a hundred percent against me, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, that's not who God is. And that's not how the heart of the father is for the, a father of the house. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was like, how do we, how do we show the love of God? But also talk about the the um, how do we talk about God in a way that people want to know Him, but oh. also need to understand that we have a short period of a period of time, you know, eighty years in our life that we have that chance to to come to know Him, mm. and so you know how do we. Put the uh, urgency on that to understand that you need to have we want to have the relationship with god because in every one of us there's a little bit of that evangelist that wants people mm-hmm. to get saved and wants people to be on their way to heaven um but uh, you know he, his mindset of really changed our heart on and our mindset of of who god is as, as a father and not yeah. this guy that sent jesus as a peace offering but he's waiting to throw oh, us into the wish. lake of fire
1: yeah. It's, there's a lot of nonsense there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he, he, he helped me significantly too. I, I loved, uh, his books, especially hosting the presence was a good book. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I think, uh, Still wrestling with these things, trying to help people see the stories in a way which is the most life giving way possible um and it mm-hmm. you know that's that's the work of a lifetime, but it is a joyful one. I remember Roger forster who I mentioned earlier who 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 was the person who saved me from kind of giving up on faith because of the the theology I was being told I had to believe uh he presented a different one and I would come to him again and again with questions about the scriptures, about the Bible, saying, what about this passage? What about that passage? Because the way I was reading them, it sounded like God was being either controlling or or harsh or judgmental or treating people unfairly. Yeah. And and every time he would manage to help me see the passage in a way. Totally new. And how I could see the God who is loved behind it. Yeah. And I remember one time asking him about, I think a uh, verse in Acts chapter 13, where he talks about all those who were set in life, who who were uh, appointed for eternal life believed. And I said, there you go again, God's appointed certain people for life and, and not others. You know, that's just terrible. How can we say that God is love when he chooses some people and not others? And he said yeah. to me, Colin, what does that Greek word mean that they translated appointed? yeah and so we look it up and it says to be set in line and says okay all those set in line for eternal life believed how do people get set themselves or how people set in line for eternal life and all of a sudden the penny starts to drop you know (laughs) this is not about god's choice it's again it's about our choices we can set ourselves in line by choosing to love people by choosing to be kind uh all those kind of things we uh that sets us in line to believe the good news about the God who is love and to receive him. And so when we're told about him, it makes sense because it's it fits with who we want to be.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, and as he said that, I remember walking away and all, after all of my conversations saying, God really is love. I kind of gave up arguing, yeah.
0: <laughs> but it took me a
1: long time Matt the point is it took me a long time because our culture has God has God really doing and saying things which are not loving and so to to wrestle yourself to a place where actually God is kind, yeah and God is fair as well as being you know righteous and holy and all the other things uh, yeah, takes I- work hard, hard work for most of us because we we're, we're just raised in a culture. And often heard sermons and, and read books which teach us things which do not paint God that way.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: uh, so so that you know. So that was my can life. You,
0: can you speak to this a little bit? I, you know, like I was talking about, we we've heard, you know, growing up, Baptist. Baptist is a lot of times is not a loving God, mm. but God loves us. Yeah. Enough to send His Son. Yeah. Or you know, it almost feels like God's a. a, a can tolerate us enough to send his son um so yeah. you have you have a, a more of a fire and brimstone um, yeah et- eternal separation from god and and the bible does talk about that
1: yes it does but it it talks about it in a way which not needs to be wrestled with and often people will quote true things to you but they will interpret them in ways yeah. which can be very very harmful or unhelpful to put it in a different yeah. language um and so so it, we, we've just got to think through what is going on god sent his son yes to reconcile us to him yes uh to even um atone for our sins yes and to propitiate or to take away god's anger yes mm. all those things are true and you can say that in very angry ways and in very judgmental ways and yeah. fire and brimstone ways. But you can also say it in another way. And this is, this is it, Matt. You can say it in a way that God loves humanity. Yeah. And he hates the fact that we've become orphaned from him, that we're separated. And he wants us, like the father in the prodigal son, he's waiting for us to turn around so that he can lavish his love on us. Yeah, that's good. And restore us to, to positions of joy, joyful authority in life. Um, And so he sends his son, knowing that we're going to mistreat him, because that's what we are wired to, to do. You know, that's our nature is we're, we're fearful. We don't behave well. Uh, and when someone comes in threatening our will, we kill them. So he he sends his son knowing that we're going to mistreat him. Yeah, The son goes willingly knowing that we're going to mistreat him. Not because somehow in some voodoo magic kind of way, his spilling his blood will somehow make things better. But he sends his son down for a few reasons. One, to reveal God. To take away all our misconceptions about God. God is not a fire and brimstone God. Jesus was not a fire and brimstone man. In fact, if you read the stories of Jesus, it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. He hung out with all the worst people. Mm. All the worst people liked hanging out with him. Yeah. He wasn't hanging out with them to tell them how bad they were. He was hanging out with them to reveal God to them. Yeah. In the hopes that they would, their lives would be changed. So he revealed God fully and God loved to heal. God loved to set free. God loved to lift burdens, even of Roman centurions, even of the Samaritans, (laughs) those painful people, (laughs) even of uh, all the worst characters. He would go around doing good to them all in the hopes that they would turn and be reconciled back to their father. And uh, he also showed us, What it was like to be really a son of God, a child of God, how to live as a child of God, how to trust God, even when things are not going the way you might plan or hope. So even when you're being betrayed, even when you're being uh, abused physically, even when you're being laughed at, mocked, scorned, even when you're being hung out to dry on a cross and everybody's watching you die. And nobody's lifting a finger to help you. And you feel deserted by God. He showed us how to live a life faithfully as a son of God and how you can do that and win. And not really be harmed. And in doing so. He sets us free from everything that would hold us back from living a life with love. And then all of a sudden it makes sense of the scriptures, because it's one of my favorite scriptures for describing the cross. And there are many we could use because the cross is multifaceted. But one of my favorite scriptures is in is in um, Hebrews chapter two. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 and 15. It says he himself, that's Jesus, likewise shared in the same flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And of course, he didn't destroy the devil. So we don't read it literally by the cross, but he destroyed his power. And it says, and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. And so Jesus died. He went to his death to set us free from the fear of death. So now we know, because Jesus did it, we no longer have to fear it. And of course, Christians who took that seriously, people who followed him took that seriously, were able to overcome the Roman Empire. Even though many of them were killed in the process. Yeah. Also, Christians believing that were able to look after the sick in plagues. And Roman emperors would be very angry that, our, that we'd care for the sick and we'd get more and more popularity and grow <laughs> <laughs> because we were caring for the sick and caring for the, the poor and uh, their priests weren't because they were too scared of death so and you know when you are scared of something you're you're controlled you'll do anything to avoid it yeah and so the fear of death makes us all do stupid things none of us behave well when we're fearful so jesus sets us free from every fear and so When you tell the story that way, of course, God's anger is now propitiated. God was angry because creation was going to hell in a handcart. It was all becoming worse and worse. But Jesus, in revealing the father, in revealing who we could be as children and setting us free to be that, to live that way from any without fear. So the seeds for the healing of creation. So no longer was it destined that we would all tumbled head over heels down down getting worse and worse but actually he arrested that and from that moment on the kingdom of god begins to grow so god's god's anger was propitiated because creation was redeemed because we, he we were being rescued from a fate worse than death yeah and so that's a different way of telling the story but it uses the same scriptures in the same fact uh it's interesting you know um i was explaining this to a a lovely friend of mine uh who goes to another church in my town we both foster parents but he's a bit more fundamentalist his church is a bit more fundamentalist um and uh they preach penal substitution quite heavily and his i was talking to him in his room um he'd invited me over for a chat he likes talking theology with me because i make him think and I asked him about the cross, What you know, what does it mean? And he told me the usual kind of penal substitution kind of explanation. Then I told him what I've just told you. And all of a sudden, his wife, who was playing with the kids, looks up from across the room and says, can we go to his church? <laughs> and it turns out, Matt, she's not a Christian. And she tried for six months to go to his church. But she found that whenever she asked questions... People would answer them in a way which didn't satisfy. Wow. And and so left her not really liking the, the faith that her husband was walking in. But when she heard the way I described the cross, all of a sudden, that particular question, she thought, wow, that sounds attractive. Can we go to his church? And I would argue that we owe it to 21st century Western people to reframe the story in a way that they might believe it. Not to change the story, but to change the language we use in in communicating it. See, 100 years ago, D.L. Moody might have been able to preach sinners in the hands of an angry God. It might have spoken to his generation. Mm -hmm. It does not speak to our generation.
0: No, no.
1: Too much baggage around. Yeah,
0: because 100 years ago, they under they understood the Gospels in a better way than we do now sin is glorified in a way um they have and I shouldn't say understood the Gospels they should say, I should say they understood the um understood uh reverence for God I guess a, a little bit better yeah I could say they did. 100 years ago yeah he, now sin is glorified as the the next coolest thing to do whatever you know you, you, Sin is just living my own life, and we don't have a reverence for God as yeah. uh, as King, as yeah. Father, as Creator of the of the world. We don't have that. So, a hundred years ago, that was like, oh my gosh, this is. Mm. They had, I believe, they had that reverence for Him. So they, I think, it, it hit home a little bit harder than it would be now. It's just like, what the heck are you talking about?
1: Yeah, and we need to find, we owe it to our friends and neighbours and colleagues to find a language that might speak to them, rather than know one, the news one we know that they've already rejected. Uh, And yet I hear people just saying, we just got to keep repeating the same message and eventually they'll believe, but they won't. We have to find a language that will speak to our culture Every generation does. You know, and D.L. Moody wasn't right, actually, about that. You only have to go back to a story in the Old Testament. David knew better than D.L. Moody in that respect. Yeah. Because when David was offered a choice, what do you want? Four months being overrun by your enemies. Yeah. What was it? Three weeks or something with some disease or two or three days and... You know, in the hands of God or God's judgment or whatever, and he chose God, yeah, because he knew that that was the best option for a sinner. Um,
0: yeah, I I I think, I think sometimes we look at, um, like, we we look at like the old DL Moody sermons. We look at like the George Whitfield sermons from the the um those days and the reverence for god was there because it was in- inherent in the in the culture that yeah. they had that um yeah but now we have a, a culture that just you know god is just a it, you're weird if you go to church you're weird if you yeah. find jesus someone that is um attractive as a, a yeah. religion or as a person mm-hmm um so so so, how do how do we take christ today and and have it without giving up um biblical the 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 correctness of what the bible says and how do we relate that to, to the culture today
1: well i think that's that's our that's our mission And that's what I've been trying to say in this podcast up till now. we let's be honest and say that the Bible is not just simply a truth telling book,
0: Yeah.
1: actually it requires us to wrestle with it for each generation. It requires us to wrestle with it and to pull out the, the meaning for this current generation to, and to speak to this generation in a way that we'll understand, not just to repeat something that's true. Yeah. Truth never really helped people unless they understand it to be true so we've got to find ways of helping people engage with with reality with truth and it's really interesting god see god is amazing he speaks to us in ways which he knows we will be able to bear or understand he doesn't just communicate truth to us and i love that about god so I, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is when he's talking to the Pharisees about marriage and they're asking him, can, is it, can we get divorced for any and every reason? And he basically says, no, you can't get divorced. If you get divorced, you commit adultery. And they say to him, wow, what about Moses? What about the Bible? It's written, it's written that we can write a certificate of divorce and send her away, our wife away. And Jesus says something remarkable at this point. He says, Moses only gave you that commandment because of the hardness of your heart. Yeah. Now, take a step back. That means God only gave us those scriptures in Deuteronomy because he knew our heart was hard, not because it was eternal truth. Yeah. That's amazing. So then you've got to start to think, what well, the scriptures are not what we maybe thought they were. How do we wrestle with them and interpret them? They are God trying to reveal himself. They're an introduction to a person. And so we then have to try and work out, you know, and that's a, that's a messy business. That's a messy business then. Yeah. Trying to figure out how God is speaking through the scriptures, if they're not plain and simple. And if he only gave us some of those commands some of those ordinances because our hearts were hard that that then becomes a bit problematic but jesus shows us the way you know and that's why we're called followers of jesus we have to follow him and and uh you know the, the more the more we fall in love with him the more we are kind of drawn to think about, read about, dwell on the things that he said and did, the more likely we are to end up following him well. So, um, but how do we how do we communicate that to our generation? Well, I gave you an example. I think we need to change the way we talked about the cross because pe- our society has not rejected our faith uh, without good reason in some ways. It's because the church the language we've used has not been helpful. Yeah, we just, we, we just need to own that. We just need to own it. The way we talked about sin, judgment, hell, heaven, and who will be saved and who won't be saved. The way we boiled down what the Bible says, which is a complex book, a complex library of books into a simple, narrow gospel. Has alienated our, our culture we need to take a step back or dive right back into the scriptures again and find a a richer story we could tell and be proud of in this culture and there is one and you don't have to throw away the rules you don't have to throw away good behavior you don't have to say that anything counts um but you do have to dive into the story in a richer and deeper way than that narrow four-point gospel that we've taught for too long since the reformation um and uh you know we could have a whole series of podcasts on exploring that Uh, but it starts you know it starts with the way we interpret genesis and then follows on the way we interpret almost every other story since um and uh it's exciting you know and i think if you look around the church globally at the moment you see that wrestling going on and you see you've worked up this conversation or maybe before we started recording of you know just talking about the different ways people are you know that and people are falling out sometimes over their different ways of interpreting things but there is some serious work going on at the moment um, and i think the church will, will emerge from this season with a fresh language, a fresh way of communicating the gospel. I just believe it to be true. Um, Which is not jettisoning stuff and not getting rid of this stuff, but just helping by reframing it and using a a different language. It will speak to our culture. Yeah. Um, Yeah, And you're right. Our culture is in need of it. There's so much lostness in our culture. But it's going to get worse unless we start using a language which they will listen to. Yeah,
0: I, I think uh, I think Billy and I had the conversation in one of the episodes where um, you know we we hold to the tenets of Scripture, but we have to find a modern way to convey the, those 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 truths that yeah. Scripture that Scripture has in, in a way that people will understand. Yeah, and I think you know working on getting our language um correct is is a huge part of of doing that is how do we talk to people about jesus do we need to have the altar call at every meeting that we have of if you died today oh my word where would you spend your eternity And that's, it's 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 a fear tactic. It's a, it's a fear tactic. And, but we've been raised with that. Yes. We've, we've been ingrained with that. Billy Graham did it, you know, all these people did that. And there's. People don't do, you know, it's, I look at it like an animal, an animal. They have two things. They have fight or flight when they're afraid. Yeah. And how do we. How do we put humans into that um, box of we have to fear uh, put them into such a, a state of fear that they're going to accept a, sa- a savior and no. it does work some for some people they it does and, work. and, and, it works and it does work and I'm not saying it's the correct way to do it but it does work and it worked for hundreds of years but it also didn't work for hundreds of years
1: and um, now because, the chickens are coming home to roost Matt
0: yes because we have we have seen in our culture that it hasn't worked and our culture is becoming less and less closer to God and more and more closer to the gates of hell. um, When in the, the mindset of sin and marriage and sexuality and different things like that. So like we've used, I, I remember growing up with that, you know, every Sunday there would be end of the sermon today. If you died, you know, and mm-hmm. I've watched, you know, Charismatics do it, Baptists, Presbyterians, anybody do it. Mm-hmm. And, but I want to do it differently at the end of this, uh, of a, a talk or a message or a sermon mm-hmm. to, to have the opportunity to come into a relationship with God.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Not not be, oh, you're going to burn in hell for the rest of eternity. Yeah. I want them to know that there is a God who loves them yeah. Who wants to have a it's, relationship with them?
1: We've taken the lazy route, if we're honest. yeah, We've taken the lazy route and now we're paying the price and the church has recognized we've been lazy. Sorry, the the, the world has recognized that we've been lazy and they yeah. said, no, we don't want that message. We don't, we're not afraid of that message anymore. It's a bad message. And I, yeah. honestly, I have to agree with them. It's a bad message. Yeah. The only amazing thing is it worked for so long.
0: That's yeah, the only it, amazing thing we we've taken the fear parts of, of scripture and use those to, to try to convey the, the goodness of God.
1: Yeah. It's and, crazy. And,
0: I, and you know, is hell a place? Yes. But our, our, and it's is a separation from God. If you look at, at scripture, it does say separation from God. And, and that's, that's a scary subject in itself
1: um and yeah, i think we can I'd
0: talk look, about that in a different time i would love to come back and talk
1: about those things yes ab- uh absolutely another time because they're they're huge subjects huge huge subjects i'd also like to come yeah. back another time and talk talk to you about how we present the story in scripture yeah. because there is there's a relational way of understanding the whole story which i think is beautiful absolutely yeah. beautiful and yet it's not talked about we 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 present this fear, this fearful story. And let me just finish by, by, with a little um, story of my own, because I went to Nepal. We were missionaries in Nepal for a while. Our son was born in Kathmandu. And uh, when I got there, I was talking a lot about the love of God. And mm. my, one of my main interpreters said, Colin, you know, you try and preach the love of God here. He said, that will not work in Nepal. We have to drive them into the kingdom with fear. Uh, I was really angry with him (laughs) and I was really, I I couldn't deny the fact it worked, but I was angry with him because it doesn't represent God well. And so, uh, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't have it. Then uh, about six years later, he wrote to me and he said, Colin, I just want to say to you, um, all the things you prophesied over us are coming true. Uh, We're now traveling from the east to the west of Nepal And we're being invited to preach and to teach at many different places and and communities. And he says, and whenever I finish, I always finish with this. God is love. Yeah. And the people accept it. (laughs) And I wept. Yeah. I wept. I absolutely wept because he was getting it. There's a better message. and We we owe it to our world to wrestle with the scriptures to find the better message.
0: Yeah. And like, the, like you said, I, I think the better message is God is love.
1: Yeah. And he desires all men and women to be saved. And he's working with Christ to reconcile all things. And it says in Acts chapter two that there's the rest of at the restoration of all things. That there's, there's a lot that we could dig into, which is good news. If we'll allow our hearts the freedom to really explore the scriptures
0: yeah.
1: and not b- simply believe. A narrow story that we've inherited
0: yeah that's really good yeah yeah good. Uh, it is Colin, good thank you so it's much fantastic. i really appreciate you uh joining me today it's um it's just it's it's food for thought it's, it's yeah little it's little things to to, to chew on so I, I really appreciate it thank you so
1: much it's been a great fun to for me to to be with you, too. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, and we'll,
0: and we'll definitely have you back on because I I think you and I could you and I could talk for probably a good two or three days. So yeah, at uh, least yeah. Uh, yeah so, <laughs> I, I might, uh, it, so one of these days when we get over for the the Pioneer Conference, we may have to uh, sit down with uh, you know some food and some uh, and spend a couple uh, hours talking about some different things. Because fantastic, uh,
1: yeah. That would be lovely. I'll take you walking up some hills or something as well. Yes.
0: uh, We'll wear ourselves out physically and and mentally as we talk about
1: it. My favorite thing to do. Come on.